Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. It's good to be in church. Amen. 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 Well, it's a privilege for me to bring you the Word of God this morning. It is just my prayer that the Holy Spirit will anoint my lips this, this morning, every word that comes out of my mouth. And we trust in the Holy Spirit for great breakthrough this morning. We specifically, I've been feeling led this, this week to, to do the Word first, and I believe the Lord wants to establish something, some revelation within us, some truth in us, and He wants to break something out in worship. So we, we're really looking forward to that this morning. So we just pray that Holy Spirit, come and have your way in this place. Come and change us, come and transform us, and we even pray that you would come and refresh us, replenish us, and strengthen us today. We pray that in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So church, if you can recall, two weeks back I preached on a message, a position contrary to your condition, which was a message focused predominantly on our position in Christ Jesus because of the love of God. The love of God, as I mentioned, is a, a very vast and, and, and massive topic, something that we would have to linger on and stay on because this is such an amazing and unending revelation, which is the love of the Father. So we're going to do just that today. We're going to go a little bit deeper into the subject of the love of God. And today, I want us to look at the kind of love that we are to have and where that love comes from. And to have this love, not just in our immediate family, but in the family of people that are around us. And I want to start by asking you a question this morning. I think it's a rhetorical question because you probably know the answer in some shape or form, but what does God think of you? What is God's opinion of you? Who does He say you are? And my question, church, you may say to yourself, when God thinks of you, does He just shake your head and think about all the things that you messed up in your life and what you've done wrong in your life? Or does he rejoice in the person that he's making you to become? Does he just look at your past? Or does he dream about your future? And how you answer those questions, God's opinion of you, will deeply impact how you see God. And how you see God will deeply impact how you face him. If you see God as an unforgiving, disinterested judge, then you'll face Him with hopelessness. If you see Him as a demanding taskmaster, an angry God, you'll face Him with fear. Right? How will you face Him? Will you face Him with love, with openness and trust, or will you turn and run? How will you respond to Him? And how you see God determines how you face Him. And a lot of that is dependent on how you think God sees you. And I want to talk to you about that today, how God sees you, what He thinks when He looks at you, and He thinks about you. Because He thinks about you all the time. You are constantly on His mind. And I want to do that this morning by looking at a parable that is familiar to many of us. Most of us have probably heard the story that we're about to look at in the Bible, and I think most of us have heard the title that we've given to the story. But I want to look at a familiar passage this morning and perhaps look at it and, at, in an unfamiliar way and see what, God can, what we can discover, what God sees about us, the heart of God for you and me in this passage. And it's a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. If you'd like to go there in your Bibles, Luke 15, 11 to 32. And let's see what Jesus said. 
There's so much wisdom and revelation in this parable. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property, property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole land. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's beautiful, right? Now, church, most of us have probably heard that story before. We have a name for it, right? What do we call it? We call it the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Now, church, what's interesting in this uh, story, nowhere in the story, nowhere in the text, nowhere in any translation, not even in the original Greek, does Jesus call this boy a prodigal. It's in fact called the parable of the lost son. So where does this come from? Why do we call this boy a prodigal? And I realized as I went a bit deeper into this and the understanding of the words, there's a common misunderstanding amongst believers about this parable. Because we think, tend to think that prodigal means lost or rebellious or wayward, or you know, just like a hopeless cause. And I suppose that's partly true in, in context of the story, but... This is what the word prodigal actually means. It means having or giving something on a lavish scale, extravagant and lavishly wasteful. So with that definition of prodigal in mind, and if we have to find a prodigal in there somewhere, well then who is the prodigal in the story? And as we go deeper into this parable, probably the, the most beloved parable of all the Bible, that it is in fact the parable of the prodigal son, and it is the parable of the prodigal father. And that to say that Jesus is explaining to us about the prodigal God. And church, you might be saying, well, what do you mean by that? I'll explain. <laughs> That's what I should do, hey? <laughs> In the context of the parable, we understand it rightly that it's a negative sense to us that the prodigal son is a bad boy. And he is, but the reason why he is bad is because he made some decisions that led him to a certain point in his life to leave home. 
And in his extravagant living, and he lived for himself and wound up in poverty and in destruction. He was a foolish boy, lived stupidly, extravagantly, prodigally, and messed up. And the father, with really a sense of, of no shame at all, he cast all culture to the wind. And he runs out to meet his son against all the traditions and protocols of that culture. He throws it away. And he is the prodigal father. He is reckless and abandoned with his love when he, he sees his son coming back. And he blows the minds of the people in the village. They just can't understand what he's doing because they didn't do this in their culture. And the father is lavishing this love on this boy, this undeserving boy, as soon as he comes back home. The story said, he said to his servants, bring him the best robe. Put sandals on his feet and put a ring on his finger. And you see, what he was doing, it was restoring his, his identity, his dignity, and his authority. Come on. He said, bring him the best robe. Put the robe on him, but the robe that's reserved for the best child. And that's what the, the robe represented. It represented his identity. So he restores his identity. Then he gives him back his dignity. That's what the sandals represent. Because slaves went barefoot. He says, put sandals on his feet. This is not a slave. And then he gives him back the, uh, his authority. That's what the ring represents. You see, the ring was like a signet that you would put into hot wax to seal a contract. In other words, he gives, he's given this boy the authority to conduct the family business in the father's name. Identity, dignity, and authority. And the prodigal father is pouring out, lavishing this love on this boy. And church, so it is with our Heavenly Father. Because He gives us identity, dignity, and authority. Come on. It is our Heavenly Father that lavishes His love on us, even though we don't deserve it. In fact, look at this verse from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. That is what we are. He calls us His children. And you know, church, we can think of 10,000 reasons why we should not be able to come home. We can think of 10,000 reasons why God should be ashamed of us. Because we all know our stories, right? We all know our past. We all know our present. We all know our weaknesses, our sins, our, our, our habits. We all know the distant places that we have wandered off to in life. The distant countries. Now what's interesting in the story, the distant country as represented in the story is any place that you go in your heart or your mind where you don't want God to know that you're there. Where you don't want God to see you. And we all have our, our distant countries, right? But I hate to break this to you this morning. God knows all about it. It's not a surprise to Him. He knows those places we go to sin. We would try to go get away from people and get away from God. And yet He still loves you. Now, am I saying that it's not important, that it doesn't matter to God? It matters greatly to God. God hates sin. Because sin is what separates you from Him. Sin is the thing that drives you away from home and away from the Father. 
But through Jesus Christ, God has made a way where there is no way. He has made a, way, a pathway back to the Father. And you see, this is the pathway that the boy has now decided to start to walk back on. He's coming home. You see, Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven and to be restored to God. God is the one who receives us. God is the one that, that makes us holy. You know, we think we have to straighten up and change our lives in order to come back home. I have to, I have to do behave myself like this, or I have to stop doing all these things in, in order to come back to church, or in order to start praying again, or in order to, you know, to face these people again. We think we have to clean up our act and start acting holy in order to come home. But I'm happy to report to you this morning, that's not how it works. Only God can make us holy. And He does it through the gift of His grace, through Jesus Christ. He shed blood, His death, and His resurrection. That is what makes a way for us to become holy. That's what makes a pathway for us to come back to the Father. Just let me try and say it like this. Holiness is not what God wants from you. Holiness is what God wants for you. Can I say that again? Holiness is not what God wants from you. Holiness is what God wants for you. You see, it's not your holiness that He's looking for. It's not our idea of righteousness. What does the Bible say about our idea of righteousness? It's like filthy rags, right? You see, it's His holiness in us. And He provides it through, through His grace, through Jesus Christ. He just says, come. You don't have to change your life in order to come home. He says, just come home and we'll work on all that other stuff later. Just come home. You see, church, you don't have to change your life, or you don't have to make yourself holy by, by changing the way that you behave. God makes us holy, making us innocent and washing it all away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit and through the power of God's Word and in the fellowship of the body of Christ, then we begin the process of cooperating with God in the, the character change of living out what is birthing in us, of becoming the people He's always wanted us to be. It's then that, that we begin to change the way we think, the way we live, the way we act and respond. Living differently, living as family members, not because we're trying to earn something from God, but we're doing it out of a gratitude because of His amazing grace and His mercy towards us. And that's what changes the way we behave. And that truth, that you don't have to change in order to be accepted by God, you're just accepted by Him and then He'll work out that change in you, that truth will have a, a significant impact on how you see yourself firstly, Firstly, yourself, and secondly, how you see other people that are not, not following Jesus. In fact, I want us to see how that plays itself out in the rest of the parable. So let's pick it up in verse 25. So the boy is now on his way home. The father has embraced him, and now it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf 
because he is, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed, or I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, see he's referring to him as this son of yours, not, not my brother, the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's beautiful, right? And church, one of the things that you find in the story is that both sons were lost. They both saw themselves as slaves. The younger son, the rebel, he's the one who said, look, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. The older son said, you know, I've been slaving for you all these years, and, and now this? He's the self-righteous one. The younger one's the rebel, the older one is self-righteous. And you see, neither of them understood their identity. The younger son had left home, but the older son was never really home to begin with. And yet, the father went out to look for both of them. Thank you, Father. So, church, there's something else I want you to see in this. Something that's actually that we don't see in this is what happens next in the story. We don't know if this younger son stuck around. If he transformed his life, if he, he behaved himself. If he stepped into the role of the son of his father. We don't know if he cleaned up his act. Because we don't know what happens in the story, what happens next. And you know, thinking about this passage and not really understanding, but you, you know, you'd, you would like to understand if this boy, like, you know, he, he figured out his life and he, he took over the role and became the, the leader of his family, whatever the case may be. But thinking about this a bit longer, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point because we never know what's going to happen next. And therefore, we cannot wait to hold back, withhold love and forgiveness from so-called sinners until we see how they're going to behave themselves. And it's because our love and forgiveness might just determine what's going to happen next. How they respond. I mean, how do we respond? How welcoming are we when they come home? You know, in this parable, the father didn't say, Oh, sure, you can come back home and be a servant. And then, only if you change your life, and if you prove yourself, and if you can do it for long enough, then maybe, just maybe, I'll allow you back into the family. He didn't respond like that. It was an immediate acceptance. That's the love of our Father. Church, I wanted to see something back in verse 20 and 21 again. Something that's absolutely critical to understanding the Father's heart in the story. We're just going to pick up a few things out there. It says, while he was still a long way off. Let me ask you, who do you know that's a long way off and that is slowly coming to their senses? It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Church, what are we filled with when we think about that person that is still a long way off? 
Are we filled with doubt? Are we filled with hope? Are we filled with a bit of anger because we know what that person's been up to? Are we filled with love? Are we filled with compassion like this father had? It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. What an amazing acceptance. Look, church, I just want to pause there for a moment. What we need to note here today is that that son had to come to his senses before he came home. Very important part of the story. We'd like to know the, the end of the story when the, he's received by the father and all his forgiveness. But very important part of the story is he first had to face the outcome of his decisions. Verse 15 and 16, let me read it again, says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but, listen to this, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. It didn't say in there that someone went and snuck a bucket of KFC between the fence there. Because <laughs> what would that do? It would keep him longer with the pigs. It would keep him longer away from his destiny, keep him longer away from his family, right? Thank God he's having to face the outcome, that he's having to experience hardship. Church, I know it sounds hard. I know it sounds harsh. But it's a law of God that cannot be changed. As a man reaps, as a man sows, that also shall he reap. And you know what? This goes for our children. There comes a time when it begins to happen in a child's life. And parents, please listen. You must control yourself and let your child go through hardship at this time. I know it sounds brutal. But hardship is not evil. Hardship is not evil. Where did we get this in our minds? Hardship can be a very good thing. If your child today is suffering because they've been a prodigal, don't rush in with your checkbook. Don't rush in to alleviate. God is at work. God is moving, mom. God is moving, dad. Be patient. Wait. Wait upon the Lord. Have you committed them to God? Have you committed that situation to God? Yes, a thousand times, then trust God. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, parents, we run the risk of, of keeping our children with the pigs if we try to step in and play God in that situation. Come on. Come on. We run the risk of, of them not finding their way back to the Father. Hardship is not a bad thing. God is at work. We've all been there, right? Some of us might even be there right now. Just know this. When you come to the end of yourself, you will be free from yourself. And then God can begin to work in you even if you're a long way off. Amen? There's something else I want you to see in verse 20 and 21. So much revelation in this, this parable. I'm going to read it quickly for you again. It says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Did you see what happened there, church? This part of the scripture? The kiss came before the confession. He received this boy before he said a word. The kiss came before the confession. He embraced this boy even in his filthy rags. He didn't say to him, you know what, go and clean up yourself, go clean up your act, and then we'll talk. The kiss came before the confession. The Bible says this about that principle in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us after we confessed. He died for us while we were still in our transgressions. Amen to that. And you see, church, we don't change our lives in order to earn God's grace and forgiveness. We change our lives because we have been forgiven. And it's out of a sense of gratitude, not fear. It's out of a sense of gratitude that we change the way we live. Because we have been so loved by God, we have already been received by Him. Church, I want to make this a bit more personal this morning between, between us. If you think of the lost sons and daughters that you know, people you work with, your neighbors, your, your old friends, they may even literally be sons and daughters in your own family. Just think of them. Think of the ones that you know who are in a distant country. They've run from home, they've, they've run from God, and maybe just now they're coming to their senses. And deep in their hearts, they would love to come home, but maybe they're afraid to. Maybe they're ashamed to try to come home. What would a lost son or daughter do if, if we respond with the prodigal love of the Father? What would a lost son or daughter do if we respond like the older brother did? I mean, you can just imagine what he would have said if he was the one to have met the younger son on his way back, back home. I think he would have first thrown, his, thrown a few stones at him, right? He probably would have said things like this. Who do you think you are? What makes you think you can come back home? You don't belong here anymore. After all you've done, all the mistakes you've made, and the way you've hurt our dad, and the way you've squandered everything and ruined our family, what makes you think you belong in a place like this? You're a disgrace. Go. You can just imagine what he would have said. And church, I believe that one of the reasons people don't come home, that they don't come to God, is because they're afraid of His judgment. They don't know this prodigal love. It's because of a fear of His judgment. I also believe that even more people don't come home because they are afraid of our judgment. All the rules and regulations, they're just not going to fit in around you. They're, they're afraid of the, the judgment from, from the older brothers in the church. The self-righteous people. They're just not going to fit in or measure up. It's just not going to work out. They're afraid of all the, the hurdles they've got to jump over and all the hoops they've got to climb through. All the t terms and conditions, all the T's and C's when it comes to, to church life and being a Christian. And so they stay away. I don't fit there. I, I don't belong there. I'm not worthy. So they stay away. Or what's worse, maybe they've even been chased away. 
And you see, church, it's a very important principle I want us to get this morning. We attract people to Jesus by attracting them to ourselves. Jesus called us to friendship. He called us to relationship. He called us to himself. And we attract people to Jesus by attracting them to ourselves. You know, if we are mean-spirited and judgmental and harsh and demanding, we're not going to attract anybody to Jesus. But if our lives are filled with the prodigal love of God, a love that is patient, a love that is kind, humble, gentle, a love that is generous, as the Bible says, the love that has no record of wrongs, a love that perseveres, if we respond with that kind of love, well then just maybe, just maybe, they will taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, if we look at this parable, what is it that we really see here? I'll tell you what I saw. I saw a father taking great delight in his son, comforting and quieting him with his love. I saw grace embracing brokenness. I saw joy triumphing through tra tragedy. You see, there was absolutely nothing that this boy could do to make his father proud of him. He was helpless. But even though he was broken, even though he was messed up and he, he ruined most of his life, he was still beautiful in his father's eyes. In that sun, I saw myself. I saw millions of other broken sons and daughters where there's nothing that we can do to make our father proud of us. But that's not why he loves us. In that father, I saw the love of our heavenly father, the prodigal love of Father God, lavished out in us regardless of what we can do for him. That's not what's important to him. And like this father, church, your heavenly father loves you. He takes great delight in you. He rejoices over you. Even certain parts of Scripture says He sings over you. Church, as I begin to, to wrap up this morning, I'd like to ask the worship team to please come up. I come back to the question that I, that I asked you at the beginning of the message. What does God think of you? What is God's opinion of you? Who does He say you are? How do you see Him? If you see Him as a, as a loving Heavenly Father, then, then you have a decision to make. Because what will you do with a love like that? How do you respond to the prodigal love of God, the, the lavish, undeserving de deserving love? The offer of identity, dignity, and authority. What do we do with that? The forgiveness, the kiss that comes before the confession. How do you respond to a love like that? Well, we can choose to walk away or just ignore it and say, you know what? It's too good to be true. Or that is for other people. That's not for me. Or you can surrender, you can give yourself over, you can allow yourself to be loved by your Heavenly Father and let Him sing over you. It's your choice. You can come home. You can come to your senses and come home or you can stay in your distant country. 
But know this this morning, that the Father loves you and He's waiting for you to come home. He's waiting for you to come home. Church, all of us have a decision to make. Whether it's your first time here today, it's the first time that you've heard about this amazing grace and this amazing love. Have you been a Christian for a couple of years or your whole life? We've all been a prodigal to some degree or another. We may have drifted off into a distant country. We have drifted away from God. God is calling you to come home this morning. He's calling you to come home. You're not coming home to the anger of God. You're coming home to the love of God. And all you have to do is come to your senses, turn your heart to Him, and you will find Him running to you, embracing you, receiving you, and He wants to kiss you. I want to encourage you to come home this morning. Would you stand with me, please, church? Church, I'm not going to lead you in any specific ministry this morning. As the Lord leads you during worship, I believe the Lord has been speaking to you through the Word. But I believe the Lord, during worship, let the Holy Spirit minister to you. And if you want to come to the front, you want to come home this morning, you can come and kneel at the altar. You can, you can come and stand and praise Him. You can come and dance and sing. Let the Lord lead you this morning. Don't let the distant countries that you've wandered off to in your life keep you from God's ultimate purposes and plans for your life. Come home this morning. He wants to embrace you. He wants to receive you. He wants to kiss you. Can we receive that this morning? Can we just give God all the praise for His word this morning, His beautiful word? Church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray before we go into worship. And you don't have to say anything out loud. Just pray this in your heart and your mind with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to come home. I've been in a distant country. I've run. I've been doing things on my own. I don't want to do it that way anymore. I want to be part of your family. I want to experience your love for me. I want my dignity back, my identity and my authority. And so I just want to tell you that, that even though I'm not worthy to be called your son or your daughter, I'm receiving your gift right now of, of salvation, of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You provided the way. And the Lord, even though I don't understand all of it, I just know how desperately I need you. So with all that I have and all that I am, and with all that I understand at this moment, I open my heart to you. I come home to you. I ask you to receive me. I receive your gift of grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I ask you, Lord, to put me on a pathway of life that will partner with you to live according to your purposes and your plans for my life. And I pray this in, my, in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people shouted. Amen. Amen. Amen.